and codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 346 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, December 12th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Friday, December 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth, as always, is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everybody. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out how the rumored Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film could be R-rated, why Patrick Stewart might consider coming back as Jean-Luc Picard, and how Christian Slater landed his role in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. In Star Trek Online news, Q's Winter Wonderland is upon us, and we've got details of a new minigame and some of the goodies you can snag. Jace is here with another Treklet 101, and later we have a real treat in on-screen, as David from Trek Radio, a Klingon expert, joins us to talk about the Klingons in Discovery. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, each week I usually take a moment to thank our patrons and I'm going to do it again now. Priority One Podcast is a labor of love and we cannot do it without your ongoing support. Now we understand that sometimes finances can be a little tough and tight, especially around the holiday season. So, if you can't offer a financial contribution, we would very much appreciate it if you shared this show with your Trekkie friends, or even your geeky, nerdy friends, anyone who likes Star Trek even remotely. And as always, you can continue the support by leaving us a review on iTunes if you haven't already, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Then let's Trek it out. Well, Captains, last week, right here on Priority One, we brought you the news of a rumor that veteran director Quentin Tarantino was working with J.J. Abrams on a concept for the fourth Kelvin Timeline Star Trek film. That rumor, this week, appears to be gaining some steam as more details emerge about its pre-production. Hollywood gossip website Deadline.com published an exclusive this week in which they revealed that not only is Tarantino helping to develop the film, but he's already met in a writer's room with a short list of potential screenwriters. Among them, Deadline reports, is Mark L. Smith, known best for writing the screenplay for The Revenant. That film, which starred Leonardo DiCaprio, won three Oscars in 2016. The other little Trek nugget that came out of that Deadline article is that the new film will likely carry an R rating, apparently required by Quentin Tarantino himself. It would be an unusual move for a big-budget franchise like Star Trek to run an R-rated film, but not unheard of. 
And the revelation comes on the back of a largely positive critical response of the TVMA-rated Star Trek Discovery. I'm not sure what I feel about an R-rated Star Trek film. I, I still would like to share Star Trek with my kids. I mean, even the other day... Uh, before Tony's and my Harry Mud discussion on Sunday, I was wa- I sat down and watched the original series with my kids, and we had a good time. We all enjoyed it, and I love doing that. Um, I can't watch an R-rated movie with my kids because w- maybe with the eleven-year-old, maybe, but definitely not with the seven-year-old. Uh, I already can't watch Discovery with them, and now I won't be able to watch the film either. Uh, th- that's disappointing. But at the same time, you know, I'm kind of okay with it. I I still think I'd love to see I'd love to see a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film. I'll watch it. I'm I'm a, I'm a little upset with it too for the same reasons that I kind of just brought up. But on the other hand, I am relatively confident that I know the kind of product I'd get from a Tarantino R-rated film, mm-hmm. and I could see where it could be okay. You know, for 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 Discovery, I didn't. I'm still not real clear on why they needed an MA rating for that or why they wanted one or, or required it or why they thought they were yeah. going to do stuff with it. But it's ter- it's Tarantino. Of course it's going to be a rated R movie. I think it's yeah. about setting your audience's expectations and if, you know, Star Trek directed or written by a Tarantino, there's going to be some gore, there's going to be some blood, there's going to be a lot of inappropriate language, maybe some maybe some more Klingon nipples. Hey, you never know. Uh, that <laughs> could, could happen. Um, but uh, I, it's 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 about setting your audience's expectations, and I would I would expect a Tarantino Star Trek to be R-rated. Okay, so I I started researching a little bit about the rating system, and you know, television like AMC, like The Walking Dead, golly, are they pushing what would be considered an R rating in films? I yeah. mean, and, and and this is general general cable right like you do need to have a, a basic cable package in, in one form or another but amc usually comes with just about some of the some of the cheaper packages and yet i mean that that really pushes some serious boundaries in terms of oh, yeah. violence and language now we don't have nudity for sexual purposes and we don't necessarily have drug abuse that I, no we do have drug abuse i do remember so you know i i think that I, we may be at a turning point again where the rating system needs to be reevaluated because there are a language evolves. If, if we're going to just talk about language in and of itself mm-hmm. and the use of certain adult terms and four letter words, language evolves over time and some things become colloquialisms, some things become more natural in, in daily speech. Right. Where 20 years ago, <gasps> don't say that word, but now it's 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 a little more commonplace. Mm-hmm. You know, like the S word, for instance. The S word's one that we throw around all the time. And you hear in something like AMC's The Walking Dead, which is, which is still almost basic cable. Now to agree with you, I also, uh, because I'm raising young kids, and they hear swearing all the time, only sometimes from me. But, you know, in all sorts of entertainment all the time, you know, either in songs, on YouTube, on TV, whatever, they hear swearing, like, all the time. And, but then it, that, for us, uh, we have a lot of talks about what's appropriate and what's not, and da 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 But um, how they hear it and the context is totally different from when I was a kid, where you really didn't hear that much swearing on TV, uh, right. out in public, on the radio. You just didn't. Um, so it, it's a little... I agree with you on the language, definitely. It's different right. than it was 
when these ratings were set. Now, the other thing I want to say, and I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but, uh, you know, in, in conversing with other people about this, you know, Quentin Tarantino, I remember in college I wrote a paper comparing Spielberg, it was a film class, and I compared Spielberg with Tarantino because I was a huge Tarantino fan in college. And one thing that I learned is that Tarantino really is, in fact, a student of film. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, his his whole goal in life was to produce and direct 10 films and 10 films films only now kill bill volume one and two he considers one film but that was his that was his thing i'm only going to do 10 films right uh that that he writes and directs but as a student of film i think that tarantino in each i just watched the hateful eight and the hateful eight had very strong language very similar to django unchained Django Unchained had strong language, but you know what though? The language wasn't just strong. It was invocative, right? It evoked emotion. They were using they were using one particular word over and over again to move a story forward. It wasn't grotesque. It wasn't it wasn't saying it just just to say it. It was it was a part of the story and telling a story of the time. And it ratcheted tension. Okay, I know you know the word that I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. Um, and it and it and it happened again in Hateful Eight when they, when talking about Samuel L. Jackson's character. Now, yeah, it was derogatory, but it was a period piece. Quentin Tarantino's last two films have been period pieces, and it wasn't to say it just to say it. No, it 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 drove emotion. It drove tension, and unlike Pulp Fiction, where the f bomb was thrown to like throw it around as throwing it around. Yeah. Tarantino knows how to write and he knows how to write where the, where an audience member feels uncomfortable but he's not doing it just for shock value. You know where the shock value comes in? When somebody's head explodes. That's where the shock value comes in because he, he goes overboard. He takes it to almost a caricature. Right. Right? It happened in Hateful Eight. It happened in Kill Bill. It happened It happened in, in actually it happened less than in Glorious Bastards. Uh, not in Glorious Bastards. Django Unchained. But Tarantino knows how to make I, I want to say art. I really do. Yeah. I want to say he's one of the last real artists of our time when it comes to cinematography. Which is one of the reasons why I hope there's somebody there to kind of drag him back a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. He's not going to be writing this film. He's he's potentially going to be directing it. They are, this is where he's been meeting with yeah. writers. He'll be the guy that decides how big the head explosion is. <laughs> exactly. Make it more explody. Make it make it bigger with more red. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I need a guy that's going to cut that back. But yeah, um, it, it probably won't be the one writing it. But but the thing about the R rating is that I think people shouldn't be too afraid. I think that he can make an R-rated film that is really more like a uh, PG thirteen no. borderline no. R. I don't think he's going. I we don't think he's going to push that. it. I don't. Th- I we hope can that. hope that. We can hope that. But I don't think. I think that as a student of film. And as somebody who respects Star Trek, the way he has expressed he 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 he, he appreciates it and respects it, mm-hmm. I think that Tarantino will write a film that is in fact Star Trek, but pushes boundaries, not gratuitous, not gratuitously. Yeah. In so far that that PG thirteen MA rating, it like I'm sorry, that PG thirteen R rating, it's almost going to be blurred. Whereas whereas with Discovery. They added the effing cool just to add it, right? Yeah, it was like, yeah, oh, it crossed the line so that they could take a box. 
Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I don't think Tarantino's going to be ticking a box. I think he's going to deliver some phenomenal cinematography that's mm-hmm. going to and storytelling that's going to push the limit and earn that R. Yeah, it's going to be an adult story. Yeah, because yeah. for for me as a as a parental, um, really the borderline between where uh, where I will let my kids see something or ver- or not. If there's a story that has heavy swearing in it, but seems like a good story. I'd probably be all right with that. Where it, even even certain sexual content is okay. Where you start to get into adult themes is where you start talking about things like emotional abuse and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, God. Okay, I'm not going to name them all now because this is a PG-13 right. podcast. Big, long but list too. there are adult themes that then draws the line between um, something being acceptable for children and and not, you know, as you, when you're thinking parental judgment. And yeah. that's where I think the story is going to probably head for adult themes with language, etc. My last thing I want to say is, if you're listening to this podcast and you're concerned about that R rating, just Google the Motion Picture Association of America's ratings and what their descriptions are. Once you start reading what they are, you're like, wait, that rated R is that? Well, I watch that on CBS regular, regularly. Yeah. You know, like this is just this is this is Marvel. This is Daredevil. This is uh, yeah. oh, Daredevil is way more than R. Jessica Jones. Yeah. You know, like this is this is that, that that's R. Get out of here. Oh they, no, I'm not worried at all. Just read through yeah. it. Don't don't freak out because it's going to be an R rating. Because I think that the the rating system may need to be tweaked a little bit now. It's got to be the. For Tarantino, he's got to have the freedom to have some heads explode, to see some people do some violent things, and to say very bad words, and not be pulled back. He couldn't work with a PG-13 cap. He's got an R cap, and hopefully someone pulls him back so that he... He just goes above it every so often, not way over the top. That's right. that's my hope. Yeah, the R rating on its own probably isn't enough to say, uh, that's not good for kids. It's, it's going to be whether it's... Uh, what it is that makes up that rating. Like Ken was saying, if I, if I have to spend more than five minutes explaining things to, to my kids, like, this is why that's bad, that, that, God, that when means you start, I like, want them to you watch know, it. You start yeah. explaining, like, emotional manipulation yeah, and stuff. I, I don't want to have <laughs> just to explain. Like, no, 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 I just don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really good place to ask a community question. Would you go to see an R-rated Star Trek film and tell us why or why not? Speaking of a potential Tarantino trek, it's not just fans who are getting excited over the idea. In fact, one of the franchise's biggest names has hinted that he wouldn't turn down the opportunity to return if it were presented to him. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter at the Dubai International Film Festival, Sir Patrick Stewart revealed that one of his dreams is to work with Quentin Tarantino. On whether he would reprise his role as Captain Picard under Tarantino's direction, he said, quote, I admire his work so much, and to be in a Tarantino film would give me so much satisfaction. So if he's going to direct something to do with Star Trek, and there's the possibility of dear old Jean-Luc showing up again and doing that for Mr. Tarantino, I would embrace it. End quote. Sir Patrick clearly appreciates Tarantino's style of filmmaking, adding, quote, The one thing that characterizes all of his movies is that frame by frame, it always challenges, always demands your attention, always demands a very kind of open and generous response to what he does. I also love his sense of humor as a filmmaker. So yes, he would be my first choice. End quote. I would love to see Captain yeah. Picard directed by Quentin Tarantino in a Star Trek film. It just sounds like fun. You know, we keep talking about like, oh, this R rating, this R rating. But you know what movie was R rated and got critically acclaimed? 
and arguably should have been for kids. What's that? Logan. Oh, oh right. Logan I, I got an R rating. It. Now I need Watch to see Logan. it. Watch yeah. Logan. Yeah, now you need to see it. Logan, as, as we were talking about Patrick Stewart doing this, I was like, wait a minute. What, he was in Logan, obviously. Mm -hmm. What was the rating on Logan? Logan got an R rating. And yet, I think back on it and go, why? Like, what What was it? What What in that film? What, because he, he, Wolverine goes a little berserker and chops off a guy's arm? Like, what? Yeah, that would what, probably that? do it. That would probably do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right. But look, seriously, though, if that's if that's what it is, yeah, then, then... Uh, Undiscovered Country should have gotten a hard R because a Klingon's arm is floating in the air, bleeding. Uh, well, like... I, you know why it didn't? And that's this is this is the thing. You know why it didn't? Because you didn't see it happen? Pink blood. Oh, pink blood. That's oh, yeah. why I didn't know, and I'm serious color. about that. Yeah. That's why I didn't get an R rating because they turned, they changed the blood color. It was strawberry milk. It wasn't blood. It was yep. strawberry milk. That is why that Star Trek Six did not get an R rating. To add to this is that Patrick Stewart, I mean, is an artist in and of himself, mm. right? He doesn't just, you know, he does. Now he does poop rolls, but that's okay because he can. <laughs> Fine. This, this is yeah. Some of the I don't think that's for money. I think that's in. I'm 80 years old and I just don't care anymore. That sounds like fun. Yes, I'm gonna. Right. Do I want it. to be yeah. a talking right. poop. Yes. You know what's interesting about this is that not two weeks ago, in a different interview, he had said, no, I, 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 I don't think I ever would. I don't think I would ever come back yeah, to Captain that Picard's role. Yeah. Mm. Captain Picard's done. And this is not, not two weeks ago. Then all this Tarantino thing started cycling around, and he changed his tune. Mm -hmm. the, that goes to show how much Tarantino is really respected as an artist. Oh, yeah. That even Patrick Stewart will say, you know what? Yo, yeah, I would do it. I would do it. At that point, it's not just about Star Trek. It's about the craftsmanship of of, 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 of the artistry here. And, man, if, if it takes an R rating to get Patrick Stewart to reprise his role as Picard, I am 100% down for it. Dude, somebody interview Brent Spiner quick. <laughs> <laughs> it, there, I think there is a certain amount of trust there with those with, with a guy like Tarantino because you're not he's not going to just bring somebody in for a five-minute cameo no, just to be cute. it's not going to be a cheesy cameo. No, it, Picard's going to get shot it. through the through the chest or Picard's going right, to shoot somebody right. through the chest or... Uh, he's gonna he's gonna walk in and uh, you know drop an f bomb and you know wreck the the diplomat the diplomatic whatever. I mean he's gonna do <laughs> something significant, yeah. and that's I right. think another right. reason why like Picard uh, or why uh, uh, Patrick Stewart would say bring me in because it won't be a small potatoes part and it'll be meaningful. Mm. Not for nothing, but the next generation needs a much better send off than what it got with no, Nemesis. Uh, <laughs> if Tarantino gave them one last goodbye in some way shape or form i i would definitely if we just went back to prime universe i don't care i don't care about the, the possible product confusion i don't care about any of that if tarantino brings us back to the prime universe just to give us a better send-off than what we got in nemesis i i just i would i i might i i would i would die and be happy i would die and be happy. <laughs> you'd kiss him on the lips wouldn't you you would. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Brent Spiner, because Brent Spiner's argument is, oh, I can't. I don't look. You know, data doesn't age, and I don't look that way. Yeah. You know who else technically didn't age? Jeff Bridges in, in Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. Oh, the magic of CGI. And Kurt Russell in Volume uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yes. Ah, they go. They're doing uh, they're doing it all the time now. It's still a little difficult. It's not quite there, but we're getting there. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah we can, it's it, topical. It's not, it's not a barrier anymore. <laughs> All right, Captains, this week we have a community challenge. We want you to do the writer's job for them. 
How would you work Captain Picard into the next Tarantino-directed Star Trek film? And from future Star Trek to past Star Trek, kind of, it's a well-known Easter egg in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, that 80s megastar Christian Slater had an uncredited cameo appearance as a communications officer aboard the Excelsior. Well, Slater's grown up a bit since his days starring in Heathers and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and he now stars as Mr. Robot in USA Network's popular drama of the same name. In a radio interview with the BBC's Graham Norton this week, Slater got to reminiscing about his blink-and-you'll-miss-it part in the Star Trek franchise. He started off by admitting that his mother, casting director Mary Jo Slater, got him the role, saying, quote, Yeah, that was a bit of nepotism there for me. I'm not even going to kid around. I had an in, and that was it. End quote. And apparently he didn't waste the opportunity. He also said, quote, I stole the costume, by the way. I have it in a box somewhere. It was William Shatner's costume from Star Trek II, actually. <gasps> End quote. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. See, I have doubts about the validity of this claim, though, because if you look at the stills of him, uh, I haven't rewatched the whole film. It's definitely got uh, gray it's gray trim. So they could have re they could have re given him a new, you know, turtleneck yeah. and a new thingy, that's fine. But dude, if that was William Shatner's from The Wrath of Khan, like what? I'm I'm a little skeptical too. As I got older, I always wondered, how is it that Christian Slater got this this role? And now I know it was that his, his mom. mom was the casting director. Yeah, well, that was kind of rumored for a long time, and of course he wasn't credited. Oh, wow. Um, but but yeah, he totally he just totally confirmed that. So kids, if you want to get a part in the next Star Trek film, all you have to do is uh, be born to the uh, Star Trek casting director. It's fine. <laughs> have some type of parent in the Star Trek in the casting. Yeah. Although yeah. I mean, to be let's be honest, he really made that role sparkle, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really brought I mean, something. I know. Let's think remember. Him. Think back, yeah. he was lackadaisical, he was sort of like, nah, Captain, you know, there's the thing going on. I mean, you know, he really owned that. He really What's did. interesting is this, uh, that, that came out in the same year as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I believe. So, like, when people were watching it in the cinema, they must have, like, it must have been, like, like, bing! Like, you wouldn't have right. been able to miss it. He was a huge, huge star at the time yeah. to just pop up. I mean, he popped up in the doorway for, like, all of five seconds and then was mm -hmm. off. Um, yeah, yeah. And he got yeah. yelled at by Captain Sulu. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> right away, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye. Yeah so. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online and gaming news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online and gaming news. It's, it's the, the most, most wonderful, wonderful time of the year. Q is back with another Winter Wonderland. More importantly, for the first time, the same winter event has launched on all three platforms, PC, Xbox, and PlayStation 4. The event launched on December 7th and will end on January 18th at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, what's the theme this year? Why not merge European folklore with Klingon mythos? In Q's Winter Wonderland, you're pitted against the Krampus and his legion of half-Klingon demon, half-Krampus minions, the Krampiri. These monsters can appear at random through the event, but the Krampiri watcher at the pavilion tracks their movements and announces when Krampus is about to appear. 
Your goal is not only to defeat him, but to release the holiday presents he's stolen, as well as the gingerbread folk he's kidnapped. If you defeat him in time, you might even capture him and make him your pet. I want a Crampiri pet. Well, you gotta play it first in order <laughs> to get one kind of... <laughs> Look, I've been busy, all right? I am looking forward to doing this, though. It's my, it is my favorite part of, of the whole year, the, um, the Winter Wonderland event. Yeah, we actually asked this question, uh, I think it was last week in the Armada, uh, which is everyone's most favorite event. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, anniversary, summer event, or winter, winter event. And everybody said, well, not everybody, but I would say like 90% of people said winter event was their most favorite. Well, you know, it would have been a closer race when there was still the day-night cycle on Ryza. I hate to bring it up because I know it still makes me kind of sad. But uh, without, without you know, that, that nice nighttime kind of summer thing going on, I, winter is definitely the winner. Now, a Krampus pet isn't the only thing that you can earn this year. For starters, no winter event would be complete without some new costumes. For starters, you've got to stay warm this winter, so why not grab the ski outfit that Wesley and his friend wore to the holodeck in TNG Season 1, Episode 14, titled Angel 1. The silver outfit with matching headband can be yours this winter. And a new nanopulse weapon is also available, a black mechleth. You can also get the more juvenile foam dart launcher. Also available is the crow visor kit module that freezes your enemy in a block of ice. And last but certainly not least is the tier 6 Breen plush troll heavy raider. Now you'll need to earn 1,000 vouchers between now and the 18th of January in order to get your hands on this new tier 6 ship. But thankfully, it's account unlocked, so any character can claim it from the event reputation window. Now, this is an upgraded version of the Breen Plesh Breck with a tier 6 starship trait called Cold Hearted. The trait will cause your energy weapons to afflict a debuff on speed, power, and damage resistance against your enemy when activating auxiliary power to emergency battery or any pilot bridge officer ability. It also comes with a universal console called Enhanced Breen Sensor Disruption Field that disrupts the target sensors of nearby enemy craft. It also provides a passive boost to Polaron energy weapons. Unfortunately, it can only be equipped on Breen ships. Now, Winters, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but at a glance, when compared to the Pleshebrek Raider, the hull and turn rate are the same. However, you are getting an extra power slot with it. The Commander Universal slot, along with the ability to slot a Lieutenant Commander Pilot in the other. And when it comes to a free ship, I think this is pretty well worth the grind for a freebie. Any freebie is worth the grind. It's not that hard. I mean, you only have to earn, uh, or sorry, you only have to do 25 days of the daily. And that's between now and the end of January. Oh, 18th of January. Yeah, the 18th of January. Uh, so, you know, it's good. It's uh, unlocked on the entire account. Hmm. So do you fancy yourself a culinary explorer? Has Neelix inspired you to dabble in gastronomy? Well, content designer Tiff Chu wrote up a blog with some Stowe-inspired winter recipes. This type of blog is new and actually kind of fun. So, Captains, if you decide to try and whip up any of these, be sure to take a picture and share it on social media. Be sure to not only tag Star Trek Online, but also at Priority One Pod. And now, Captains, it's time for Winter's Weekly Top Tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. 
This week I'm going to talk to you about the fastest game on ice race located at Q's Winter Wonderland. Now as I'm sure you know, the fastest game on ice race is the daily event that you have to complete to obtain the Winter Event 2017 vouchers that are required to earn the free T6 Winter Event ship. Your first step is to go up to the race coordinator in the gazebo and pick up the fastest game on ice race. From there you make your way over to the race official to begin the race. You will be automatically transported to the start line and an NPC competitor will be located beside you. Your objective is to finish the race ahead of this NPC. Now I know some people do struggle with this race due to the lack of traction on the racetrack. If you are one of these people that struggle to complete this mission, my advice for you and this week's top tip is to simply walk the race and only speed up on straight stretches of the racetrack. Don't equip the frosted boots as you will have even less traction with these on. My advice is to do a number of practice runs first to get used to cutting corners. This is actually the trick to becoming a pro at this race. I'm sure that with some practice you will come to know the full course and when exactly to start turning before each corner. For more information we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO346. Now, I don't normally comment on your top tips, but this is actually a really good one. Um, I think everybody who does this race has a slightly different way of doing it. Yes. Um, I personally, the way that I do it, I sprint the whole time, but then um, I move my camera and aim my camera, and I do a double tap forward, because it, as long as you're pointed the right direction, a double tap forward will stop you dead and make you roll forward, and then you can pick up going that direction. It takes a little practice... But that's the way that's the way I do it. Yeah, uh, th- you're right. There are a number of different ways of doing it. Yeah, that is actually a very good tip as well. The double tap because if you are sliding like off the track, you can double tap yeah. and quickly stop that slide and you know get yourself back onto the track before you actually veer too much and ultimately start. Um, or, or, you know, fail the mission. Yeah, because if you go too far off, it just says, oh, you left the track. Exactly. I did that. I, yeah, I've done that a couple times. Yep. <laughs> it's it's a tricky one. But then, you know, once you kind of get the hang of it, and it's the same exact one every year, mm-hmm. uh, then once you nail it, then that's it. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news this week, here are some events that are on the calendar this weekend. It's a Marks weekend. Captains, you have until Monday, December 18th at 10 a.m. Pacific time to take advantage of a 50% bonus to fleet or reputation marks. So if you've got a gear set you've been working towards, this is the weekend to grind out some missions. For more details about this event, please be sure to have a look at the in-game calendar. This Saturday, the Priority One Armada Twitch livestream will broadcast its final show for 2017, but we will be back again come January 2018. This week we will be in Q's Winter Wonderland and have loads of events and some truly amazing prizes to give away. Some of these include Zen for all three platforms, codes to help improve gameplay and much, much more. The stream will start at 8.30 Eastern Time so we invite all STO players to come join us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. Well that wraps it up for this week in Star Trek Online News. Now we're visited by Jace as he gives us his literary review. Hello, Captains. This is Jace with the latest edition of Treklit 101, in which we visit waypoints 5 and 6, as well as make a new discovery. 
So let's start off with a pair of stellar issues of the Star Trek Waypoint Anthology comic. While these four stories continue Waypoint's trend of being in different styles and set in various eras, in this case Deep Space Nine, the original series, and Phase Two, I felt that all four were very consistent in this case, cleaving to core ideals of Trek and to those of their respective time periods or series especially. The first, Frontier Doctor, set in the early seasons of Deep Space Nine, was a pretty fun piece focusing on Bashir and his overconfidence when it comes to his own knowledge and abilities. Given that Deep Space Nine has some colonial themes, this story also has some meat to it and ends with a bit of pure Trek wonder as well as a lesson for our man Bashir. The second, Come Away Child, set during the five-year mission of the original series, followed a young ensign delivered by the Enterprise to a research outpost, not unlike the duck blinds on TNG. The seemingly eccentric senior scientist here is slow to warn to her new assistant, who in turn gradually comes to learn the truth about what this researcher is doing on the primitive world, and has to decide how to act on that knowledge. It is a somewhat eerie and dark look at the Prime Directive and Obsession. Next, the Rebound Effect, also set in the TOS era, gives Nurse Christine Chapel a chance to shine, as she endures some slings and arrows from professional and academic medical types at a conference, but then subsequently proves to herself and to those around her that bandaging scraped knees light years from civilization is exactly where she belongs. Lovely art in this story too, even evoking the classic Trek soft focus effect on Chapel in a couple of panels. The fourth story, and the last of this volume of Star Trek Waypoint, was called The Fear. It takes us on board the refit Enterprise prior to the motion picture, showing us Decker as first officer, and spending some time on Jean, the new Vulcan science officer, who unfortunately didn't make it aboard in TMP, but anyway. This story mixed a bit of Wolf in the Fold and Alien, all the while dealing with a damaged Romulan ship and her surviving crew. An intriguing tale, and I wouldn't mind getting more than just a taste of this part of the timeline. I like the nods to Spock's absence and its effect on Kirk and Bones especially. Now, last and far from least, the first issue of Star Trek Discovery is out, and it is a page-turner, unlike certain ancient tomes in another space franchise, but no spoilers. Framed by a story of Vok and the other followers of Takuvma struggling for survival on the sarcophagus ship in the aftermath of the Battle of the Binary Stars, this issue kicks off a look back at the rise of Takuvma himself and expands greatly on the small flashback to his origins seen in the TV series thus far. Interestingly, it is Laurel who is telling this story to Vok, so learning her role in the background could prove significant as well. While it seems that the expanded media for Discovery like comics and novels, will not be canonical as we once believed. This arc is co-written by Kirsten Beyer, a member of the Discovery writing team, so I can only assume it's as close to official as we're likely to get, unless they choose to spend more airtime on Takuvma in the future, which seems unlikely. Great work as usual by Tony Shastine and Mike Johnson, whose art and writing have been staples of Treklet 101 since the beginning. In fact, I believe Mike Johnson may have the distinction of being the writer of more Trek comics than any other singular individual. Definitely make sure to Trek this one out and tune in here for deeper reviews once more of the background is revealed in upcoming issues. That's all for this month's Treklet 101. On screen. Well, Captains, Star Trek Discovery might be on hiatus, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep talking about it. Now, 
since August, when I met up with David again in Star Trek Las Vegas, we had talked about bringing him on the show to talk about the Klingon culture in Star Trek Discovery. Now, for those of you that don't know, David is the marketing and communications director as well as a broadcaster for the Warrior's Den on Thursday nights over on trekradio.net. He's also probably my closest Klingon friend. David, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. I got to throw in some Klingon language. I know I definitely wanted to jump in. I, I've, I've kind of been known as everybody's favorite Klingon. Somewhat, some people are, are like, I'm their most hated Klingon, but it's kind of the same thing. But I, I get, <laughs> When you're Klingon, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I've been getting asked a lot, what do you think about the Klingons? What do you think about Discovery? And I'm always happy to talk about it because, you know, uh, I'm so steeped into the Klingon culture and, and fandom and everything, so I definitely wanted to jump on here and talk about it, just to you know hang out with you guys, but also you know talk more about Klingons. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now you know, David, you and I have gone back. Gee, I mean, I want to say since since I've been involved with Priority One, I want to say we've known each other for at least six years, even though our first uh, meeting was in 2012 uh, in Star Trek Las Vegas, and since then. Um, I have known you to be like my go-to resident Klingon expert. I mean, you you know the language fluently. You embrace the culture. Um, tell us a little bit more about your history um, in Star Trek and your involvement in taking on the mythos of the Klingon culture. Well, uh, just like way back machine, uh, I grew up in the six in the seventies. I grew up in the seventies watching the reruns of the original series. So I grew up on you know actual classic Trek. I then went to the animated series. Just grew up watching Trek. I was there day one for Next Gen, and uh, obviously uh, loving that DS Nine. All of them. I've always been there for the beginning of each Trek. But even going back to the sixties version, I just loved the Klingons. You know, I, I in like the all the different alien races. You know, definitely loved Spock and all of that, but I just something something about the Klingons. I thought they they were cool. They had swagger. They didn't take crap from Kirk, and it was just it was just cool. And so, you know, and then of course with the the motion pictures, you know, and the films, uh, I loved Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek uh, Three, and just the all the prototype Klingon. Exactly, and so just watching the development of that culture or that that alien race you know in in the sci-fi franchise i just gravitated to them and then of course with the next generation they bring in Worf and they start really fleshing out the klingons and then deep space nine i lo- i know there's differing opinions about deep space nine <laughs> but i loved i love <laughs> deep space nine and i have to give i have to give credit to deep space nine for really adding more to the klingon culture specifically you know for me but then also the ferengi culture if you look at the ferengi in original in uh, the next generation they were like animalistic you know they had the whip and they were kind of cool but they really got fleshed out in uh, in deep space nine and the same with the klingons and it was just something that i gravitated to as they're just you know badasses they're just cool they got the swagger they got the attitude but then also not everybody caught on to it but i started catching little glimpses of and then later on like ron moore would talk about it in interviews back in the old aol chats and back in the day but there were subtle elements of like samurai culture and the samurai code and bushido and being a native american i started catching little glimpses of native american heritage or culture or elements of that in in the klingons and so i just started thinking wow there's a lot to this culture to this alien race that they are being fleshed out and it just made me you know be be that much more interested in it and then it was around 
like around Star Trek six is when a friend just at a friend's house, we are playing basketball or whatever we are doing on the weekend. And we, you know, drive up, get out of the car. And he says, Nuknech. and I'm like, wait, what? That kind of sounded familiar, but I didn't know what. And he's like, that's Klingon for hello. And I'm like, wait a minute. How do you know that? Where did that come from? And then he showed me, give, gave me the first Klingon dictionary. And then I was just off and running after that. So it, it's just been a passion for Star Trek. You know, I do love Star Wars and all these other franchises, but it really brought me home to uh, Star Trek. Uh, there was connections with my mom, you know, with, with in, the, in the early days, which that's a whole other story. But it's just something that Trek has always been a grounding and a, a thing in my life that is at, you know, different times. It's whether it's for fun or, you know, dark times and you go to Trek as a release or just bonding with other people. But all throughout, you know, I love all the different pack leads and all the cool, cool aliens but Klingons have always been uh, my focus and my interest. Now, you mentioned uh, in your introduction that you were really in the thick of it um, as Deep Space Nine was developed, and then, of course, with uh, Christopher Lloyd's portrayal of Klingons and and that, that like Tony said, the prototype Klingon. Um, I feel like every time a new generation of Klingons are introduced, Star Trek fans lose their minds so to speak, and I can only imagine that that, that has Twice. happened now three, four times. First with Christopher Lloyd. Well, actually, first it would be with uh, Mark Leonard from the motion picture because that was the first time that the they had the actual like bony cranial ridges, and so that was the first thing. You know, look at yeah. the original series yeah. with Kor, Kang, Koloth. They just had bushy eyebrows. Mark Leonard, mm -hmm. who was obviously known as Sarek of uh, Spock's father, he was the first in the motion picture. It's when the Klingons roll up on the V'ger cloud and they're like, hey, let's shoot, mm -hmm. let's shoot some torpedoes at it. Mm -hmm. And then they're not in the movie no more. But that was the first time you see Klingons with bumpy foreheads. And then it goes on from there. Yeah, but I mean, but Mark Mark Leonard, he was on screen for just you know all of a few seconds. But it's, it's Christopher Lloyd that his character and the look and the... The attitude of that character carries through, I think, all the way through the end of Deep Space Nine. But well, that's not my question. My question is, what the, Trekkies have a reaction every time there's a, a. It seems to be very much with the Klingons, right? Because we seem to get a, a different iteration with Klingons every time somebody, a, a new person, comes onto the creative team. Um, you know, as somebody who has researched this, somebody who's who's been who's embraced the culture to be to be their own, um, what you know, how different is something like the JJ verse, and now specifically Discovery, to something like the motion picture, and then later Christopher Lloyd's uh, portrayal, that reaction. Well, it's something that at this point, I think some people are still going to have the knee-jerk emotional response and think, why are they why are they doing a thing that's different? You know, just give me what we know and what we love. At, on the other side, I kind of think it's almost uh, par for the course and almost to be expected now. But I do remember going back to uh, Christopher Lloyd is definitely the prototype benchmark Klingon in a lot of ways, even with Mark Okran saying that, in the, especially in the early days of it, Christopher Lloyd was his prototype and his example of how to speak Klingon because Christopher Lloyd took it very seriously. But I do remember when the motion picture came out, even though they were only on screen for a short time and they didn't really have the, all of the same honor code and everything that we'd get later, I do remember fans going, why do the, those don't look like Kor and Kang and Koloth? Like, they look different. Mm -hmm. And then 
it, it's just like here and gone. And then, you know, that the discussion kind of just didn't get a lot of traction after that. But then you see the motion, uh, the Star Trek. We didn't we didn't see any Klingons in Star Trek two, the Wrath of Khan. They come back in Star Trek three. And from there, it just seems like a, a kind of a, an evolution or a progression that even though the Klingons continue to change from Star Trek three to five to six, you know, then the next gen and on. You could almost track like there is a right. progression where they're just in, enhancing what came right. before. It's not like a dramatic left no. turn. And so when it gets to... And the funny thing is, if you really go back and look at, you know, we, we compare Klingons from the original series to the movies, to the TV show, to J.J., Bad Robot, Trek, and then beyond. But if you go back and look at Michael Dorn, just Michael Dorn, from season one to season mm. seven of next gen his makeup changed a dramatically lot, yeah. i mean it did for one the actual ridge pattern on his forehead was just completely different but even once they settled into like okay these are the shape of his ridges like his forehead pattern the the edges the make the coloring the the eyebrows like everything kind of evolved with, with it and he, people just went with it but in terms of um now we get pretty much the same klingons all from next gen ds9 uh, Voyager, even going to Enterprise, they, you see Tiny Liston as what would be the first Klingon uh, in that series. They all have the, the the ridges, the familiar look, and obviously there's some variation in the ridges. But then we get to the bad robot, J.J. Trek, and they just look completely different. And I think that's where a lot of people had the big knee-jerk reaction because it didn't seem to follow in that kind of trajectory of what we saw from the Klingons. And if you kind of think about it, if you go chronologically or in in canon chronology you have enterprise the klingons have the ridges they tell their story of why the klingons lost the ridges and then you get core kane koloth you know uh, michael ansara john colicos the original and then and when you look at um christopher lloyd's klingon he has forehead ridges but they're not like super deep craggly you know pronounced ridges those get more pronounced as you go on you could almost kind of see like they had ridges they lost the ridges then the ridges gradually come back over time or get more pronounced but then with the jj it's just completely different and i think why a lot of fans especially klingon fans were upset is because it wasn't given an explanation it didn't it just felt like they're just changing it just to change it like it didn't add anything to it it, it wasn't like okay this is a separate subspecies or, or, or a side species that was conquered or incorporated or you know the way we have different uh, ethnicities that look different it was just it was just different and people like why do that so with discovery again the klingons look different and i'm i'm wondering you know is that something that they just want to here's our chance to update it again I'm, i've heard different uh, theories about they it was required or a necessity to change what they look like so i mean that's a whole other discussion that may be legit or may not be but so their Klingons look different again. And so a lot of times when people were asking me about what do you think of the Klingons for Discovery, they were in the mode of, you know, the, the negative knee-jerk reaction, and they were expecting me to have that same feeling. But I kind of already went through that with the J.J. movie. Like, I actually was, like, fervent, you know, adamant about, I don't like this, I hate this, why are they doing it? Um, I didn't go so far as, like, they're ruining my trek, but I'm like, just why? Like, you didn't need to do this. Except that, okay, it's a different timeline. Well, the Vulcans don't look different. You know, the right. this this yeah. race and that race don't look different. Why just do the Klingons other than like, hey, look, we get to do Klingons over. But with Discovery, they definitely look... 
it it's weird because if you look at the JJ makeup, the the you know into darkness makeup, you kind of can get some hints of what might apply to a Klingon description, but with the the Discovery Klingons, they look even more dramatically different. But there is still some elements that you could see they are still taking taking like cues from a description of a Klingon, like you know at least on paper, like you know ridges on the forehead, you know. But then they go into other different directions, like with the elongated back of the skull. You know, that's a different thing. And so I'm, I kind of, when Discovery hit, I kind of like almost initially started having that knee-jerk negative reaction. But then I pulled back and I'm like, okay, we're going through this again in a way. It's like, here we go again. But I thought, why? What's, the, what's behind it? And then the thing I still was upset with Discovery, I mean, with the Into Darkness was it didn't really add anything to the fabric and the tapestry of Klingon lore and culture. It's just like, here's some Klingons. Mm. They look different. Okay. With discovery, they look in a way even more different, but you can kind of see that they're taking the effort to, in in a lot of ways, still ground it in traditional uh, Klingon culture and lore that came before it. They're trying to add to it. And so I, 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 and more forgiving of the difference of the different look because they are they're still referencing Kales, you know they're they're still talking they do the death howl you know when the when Takuvma and the you know different Klingons die so I'm I'm more accepting and forgiving because they're still trying to steep it in Klingon culture and and the lore of it and then mm-hmm. and then add to it and you know um, I had a, there's a fun quote that I tell people a lot that uh, Picard tells us that the Curlin civilization believed that an individual was a community of individuals that inside us are the many voices with each has its own desires its own style and view of the world well I have multiple views that are happening at the same time so there is a one voice inside me that says I wish they looked like you know Christopher Lloyd Michael Dorn you know, you know Worf I wish Discovery went that route but they didn't, so I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Now that we got what we got, like, what are they doing with the Klingons in this case? And they're 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 making it a deeper culture. They're making they're adding to it. I love the fact that they're using the Klingon language. Um, the the thing with that is, the the Klingon makeup that I've you know experienced personally and seen over the years that it's always been a nose and basically from the eyebrows up like a forehead piece where it looks like with the the discovery Klingons especially and even somewhat the uh, into darkness JJ Klingons it's more of a full head makeup almost like a Jem Hadar or like it's just Mm. it's it's, so it involves it affects their mouth and especially having teeth in the top and the bottom and the teeth look bigger more pronounced prosthetic teeth because you see, you look at Worf, and it's funny because you look at screenshots, especially the HD pictures of Worf. He's got the gnarly Klingon teeth on the top, and then pearly whites on the bottom, because <laughs> they only put a, a, a prosthetic teeth on the top, and they're not very big. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with the uh, Aaron Eisenberg that uh, when he did Nog, he had to learn to talk through the teeth. And then when he, they brought him in for Star Trek Online, he thought he might not be able to do it because he didn't know if he had his teeth. But then he, he found or he had his teeth and so he could go back and do the Nog voice because the teeth affect your speech. Right. And then having yep. top and bottom and their big pronounced teeth. So that affects the way that they're the actors. And they all were not established Klingon speakers to begin with. They're all learning it. Mm. But, you know, that's where it's like I, 
I like it more than anything else, but there are some areas like, eh, okay, I'll, I'll just go with it. You know, I choose to go with it. So before we get into into culture and language, um, going back to the look, it, so in uh, Battle for the Binary Star, we only saw, we didn't see all the houses right. of, uh, uh, of Kronos there, right? We only saw a handful of them. What if we ended up seeing the other houses and they looked like TNG Klingons? Or they look like, you know, the undiscovered country Klingons and even TOS Klingons, right? Because, you know, we th we, we've, we've had this discussion before that, you know, no, there are several different races on, on the human planet. We all look different from different regions. How, would you would that impress you? Would that impress you if 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 there was a house that, you know, like the house of, of Mog that looked like Worf? That's what I'm kind of, I, I won't say hoping for, but that's what I'm curious that if they will end up doing that. Because as the series has gone on, we have seen more of the Klingon houses. And, and uh, the difference of the Klingon look in Discovery is, you know, very upfront, very out, you know, immediately you notice is the, the, the faces, the heads, the makeup. But the clothing, the outfits are definitely different. And for a long time, right. all people were seeing was Takuvma and his, you know, mm -hmm. his particular uh chess piece and his outfit but then as we saw more of the Klingons of the different houses and most of the time they were in that hologram kind of form but you could kind of pause it or look at it and see differences and variation of the clothing the clothing styles the, the you know armor or just you know leathers and all that so there is definitely going to be variations of the houses and we have not seen all 24 and based on um, one thing I loved about uh, all of this was when we were at Star Trek Las Vegas, they had a lot of panels for Discovery, and one I paid close attention to was the the Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page panel because they were talking yeah, all about... Yeah, wasn't that one. It was, it, it was really good. I love that panel. Really interesting. And the thing... They weren't shy, though, because <laughs> at the end they just went, for all of you guys who want to do cosplay, good luck. Oh, exactly. And, and that's the makeup, that's the outfits. I'm sure mm -hmm. some, some daring fans are going to attempt it, but... The thing that made me really appreciate the Klingons at even more was that panel, because even though they look different and I would kind of want them to look like traditional or what we've seen before, the the thought processes behind the makeup and, you know, obviously the Glenn Hetrick and Neville Page do the makeup, then the costuming department would do the costuming and they could be working together. But one thing I hope that they do is really take more emphasis on, on the makeup and the thought processes of Neville Page and Glenn Hetrick because they said there's so much detail in just the makeup that you know the reasoning behind the cranial cranial ridges going all the way back they said they put in little divots and pockets and said these are you know sensor clusters so they could sense information from the environment like temperature changes and you know all this kind of thing and I'm like I loved that but I just hope that it, that somehow could be reflected more in the scripts and in the story but so whether it's the makeup and the attention to detail and like the the, the double nostrils, um, some people are like why do they have like extra nostrils? And that made me think back to the Klingon. I think it's the Brockelol, where it's like the redundant organs that are you know mm -hmm. that just made me think they they thought about something. So even though a nostril may not be like what we always thought of as redundancy of vital <laughs> organs, internal organs, at least they're thinking you know redundancy of uh, body parts or whatever. But then the outfits, the uh, the costumes, there's so much intricate detail that on one hand, whatever you think about the decision to let's let's redesign the Klingons, 
what they're putting forward is just amazing. It's like they're definitely doing some masterful work. And I just have to appreciate the look of the Klingons, whether it's, you know, the, all the makeup, the outfits, the bridges, the sets. It's just, to me, I, I, I'm kind of mixed again because I love what they look like. I love what they're doing with everything. There's just that little voice in, in my head that if you took a picture of, you know, Kor, Kang, and Koloth from the original series, uh, you know, not necessarily Worf because he's always Starfleet, but, you know, like uh, Galron, Martok, you took those pictures and just gave them out to modern culture, you know, fans of pop culture who may not be diehard Trek fans, you show them that and they're going to go, oh, those are Klingons. If you, take, if you right. take photos of the new Klingons from Discovery, I don't know if everybody would go, oh, that's a Klingon. You know, it, it, kind, it, right. it has a beautiful right. look and it does make it seem like it's steeped in an ancient culture, almost like bringing forward like uh, Egyptian or, you know, a mm -hmm. classic uh, from our history as a reference, you know, the Egyptian pharaohs and the different samurai armors. And but to me, I'm like, I, I don't know if that just immediately hits people as that's a Klingon. And I wish it would do that a little bit more. And I'm, that's what I wonder. Are we going to see a bridge with the second half of this season or with the next coming season? Are they going to kind of ease us into what we see as because this is only 10 years from Kor, Kang, and Koloth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see where they where they take it. So, I want to talk a little bit about the culture, right? We talked, uh, you know, about the makeup, their look. But something that I've pulled from this that I've, I have, I've, I personally have never felt before, even having watched Deep Space Nine, although arguably my least favorite, is that... I feel as if though the Klingon culture is being fleshed out so much more in Discovery mm -hmm. in just these short nine episodes that we've gotten eight episodes nine, nine. X amount of episodes we've gotten in, in the first part of this of, of Discovery. I feel like the Klingons have a, an even stronger mythos. So I've I've heard that uh, similar thoughts about you know they're, they're adding so much more to it or it seems deeper and richer and to me I, I I get it in a way because for one Klingons are just getting more screen time now so they're getting more mm -hmm. screen time so people are going to pay more attention to it there's you know what we see on screen and the ac actions that the characters are doing on screen is one thing one thing I always try to look in like be aware of and and then look into is what's being referenced in dialogue that we don't see on screen, whether it's an event or, you know, a, a alluding to a part of the culture. And so I think it's benefiting by just more screen time. And I know it's a difficult thing for some people to be reading the subtitles, but you're seeing Klingons talking about their own culture. And in the past, you would get Klingon episodes, but even within those Klingon episodes, it would be focusing more on like the, the diplomacy with the Federation. You know, you didn't get a whole right. lot the of Klingon Bechdel test. Of, but with the with the original, not so much the original series like Kirk and Spock days, but the next gen and right. DS9, a lot of what you see is the military interactions and dealing with Starfleet. Right. And so uh, the culture and the lore would always almost be references in dialogue. That if you're not if you're right. not focusing on that or like you know a Klingon fan like trying to soak up as much Klingon tidbits as you can, it could just go past you. It's like you know I don't right. know all the details of Bajoran culture, even though I've seen every episode of DS9. Right. It just it didn't right. sink into me. So I kind of get that some people, even though they've seen all of Next Gen or all of DS9, the the bits of Klingon culture, history, and lore that the Klingon fanatics like 
latch their claws into and really, you know, chew into and, and think there's a lot here may not be so in the forefront to other people. So with Discovery, they're, they're definitely adding to it. But I think at the same time, when I watch Discovery and I've watched most episodes more than once, it may, there may be only one one or couple that I've only seen once, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be rewatching it a lot. There, there, when I watch through Discovery, there's times where not just with the fun with the language part, like, oh, I recognize this word or this phrase or whatever. But when I'm watching them talk about, you know, the history of Kalos, and it, it, it calls to mind a lot of the culture and lore that I know of coming into it that a lot of people may not have that in, in their, you know, in their Rolodex mentally to, to go, oh, that's a reference to this or that. Mm. And so, but at the same time, it's weird because when I look at this discovery plot, this, this thing that's going on. We have this character Takuvma, and he's around for a little bit, then gets killed, and then it, you know somebody they take on his his cause. But it's almost kind of like, and I don't want to mean this to be like sounding as a negative or like a insult or whatever, but it, it we're almost looking at a cult. We are looking at a cult. Here's a person. Yeah. We're, 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 <laughs> we're looking, looking at, at a cult, cult. <laughs> and because this this person even says like he's claim like they. Um, Michael Berman and others like he's uh, he's calling himself the next Kalos. He calls himself Takuma, the unforgettable. Uh, they call him like he's claiming he's the next Klingon Messiah. And so in, in a way, it's like it's Klingons being Klingons on one hand. But it's a very like s- specific take on a subset of Klingons. And it reminds me a lot. I see like the echoes and parallels between the Vulcan extremists who, you know, blew up the shuttle. It's like there's two there's like a sub a subculture or a subsect of the culture that is that believes they're right or they have the right they're, they're benefiting they you know they got the answer for the overall culture or they're they should be the one in charge and so that's where it's like I I, I appreciate what they're going what they're doing with the Klingons in general for one I just like that they're doing Klingon stuff I mean, that's, that's almost like selfish because I'm a big Klingon fanatic and it's like, yay, more Klingon stuff to either love or hate or debate, go back and forth on. There is that other side of me that thinks like, I know there's some some friends that are all about the Romulans and there is no Romulan dictionary and they don't have a lot of Romulan culture or even the Ferengi, even though we see a lot of them in DS9. So it's like, I, I love when they flesh out a culture. And in this case, we're seeing like, a subculture, a subsect of this, where you know they they think they're doing what's honorable. They want to unite the Klingon Empire, but you know it's like, there, is it the right cause? And when referencing Kalos, that to me that's a more positive or more something I could get behind because it's about being honorable, uniting people against, you know, getting out from under the thumb of oppression and persecution, and like yay for that. Whereas in this case. It's still like, you know, some of the words were uniting the Klingon Empire, but it's also you get you get you start hearing things like racial purity and supremacy. They even say the words Klingon supremacy. And we see in our culture and in history, you know, racial purists and supremacists are not always something that is the the best example of a culture. So I I still appreciate all, all aspects of it. But, you know, and, and the fact that they are doing new things with it, you know, but still referencing Kalos, because in order to for Takuma to bring all of the 24 roaring warring houses together, he lights the light of Kalos. And so it, it, it shows 
So that adds something like an entry into a Wikipedia type of thing or whatever, that, that mm. there is a thing called the light of Kales that when it is lit, all the houses come together, almost like a, a big mm. interstellar Klingon bat symbol. Like <laughs> you, you light the <laughs> you light the Klingon or the, the Kales light and all they all come together. Like that that's something new and cool. And it references Kalis. So there's, they're doing new things, but they're still kind of bringing in it too. But I did notice that there are some contradictions because we've seen in the oh, in yeah. past uh, shows where uh, when, a Kling, when Klingons die, you know, they hold the eyes open and, and you know, shout to the to Stovokor and we saw that. But then after that... It's a husk. Uh, it's, it's an empty shell, right. And so it's just j- discarded, you know, okay, whatever, do it dispose of it whatever leave it behind on the battlefield like our our friend his spirit is out of that now like that's just a shell right whereas in discovery takuma wanted to go and collect all the dead bodies that were floating out in space and then and Mm. then put them on the outside of the sarcophagus ship totally sounds like a cult yeah and so and that's an interesting thing that i i just think of you know it's like here is a cult of uh what would a klingon cult look like and there's you know nationalist type cults there's religious type cults like whatever type of a form a cult could take now we're looking at a klingon one and it's it's not like you know we need to espouse dishonor and chaos they're like they're wanted they want to unite the klingon empire what i find interesting is that the bad guy klingon and discovery reminds me more of the Klingons that we used to know. Like, he's cynical, and he's opportunistic, and he's taking advantage of stuff, and he'll adopt pieces, parts of what Takuma was saying if it gets the job done. But he's, he's more along the lines of the core and the Koloth and, and the Krug. He'll just do what it needs to do to get the, the power and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the upper hand. And so he's, like, taking advantage of the cult. And not really believing what, what yeah. the cult said, but just taking advantage of it. He seems like more of a prototypical Klingon than than the you know, Lorel and Takuvma and, and Vok. Yeah, exactly. Because Takuvma T- definitely had like a messiah complex. Like I'm the next, I'm the chosen one. Everybody rally behind me because I say so, whatever. Once he starts that in motion, yeah, then this guy, the other one steps in and says, we're going to unite the Klingon Empire. We're going to take down the Federation. And then after that, it's all about, you know, then everybody can go their separate ways and start warring again. And it's something that we see a lot of different types of worldviews or perspectives from the Klingons where if you look at you know Kales and the honor code Duras they might they might have been thinking they were they were doing the best version of Klingon honor other Klingons might have a differing view of that and so it's like one of the cliches or the archetypes you could think of and we even see Galron fall into it is the power hungry and so you know not real not really concerned about honor and glory you know uh being righteous but about power influence and you know people respect respecting or fearing them like in from that perspective that they may be thinking that's what it is like that's how to go but then from another perspective it's like that ain't so honorable right you know but that's the thing we get to see different different perspectives and they did say like in the panels that each of the 24 noble houses they're going to look different but they're all going to have different agendas or worldviews of like what is the best way to go about things and so that's another thing where it's like i just love that they're adding to the klingon culture and obviously there's going to be um characters that are contradictory to each other but even obviously franchises contradict their own canon you know so that's something we may run into but i'm just i definitely think that the culture is being um expanded on just for the fact that we see 
this group that is like a cult, but they're they're not. And one thing I didn't like about the Klingons that uh, for a long time that we finally started to see kind of change a little bit is they were almost always in the military uniform, the the standard classic Klingon armor. That's a military uniform. That's basically like a Marine wearing their uniform. And we're not always going to see a culture always wearing the uniform of the military. And so we start to see more of that come in where they're just wearing like the leathers and the furs and stuff. But just the fact that we see this group of Klingons, wherever they fit into the timeline, that the way that they're dressing, the way that their architecture, you know, architecture in terms of their ships and the interior structures, but... It's just adding to the more fabric of the Klingon, you know, tapestry of lore and culture. And I'm just I'm just happy for that in one hand. So um, I'm really interested to see where they go with it, with the rest of the with the rest of the series, because I did see in an interview that the second season may not be dealing so much with Klingons, at least as heavily or maybe not even at all. So I'm kind of wondering, like, where are they going to take this in the last half of the uh, season? Are we going to see them kind of branch towards, you know, the Klingons that we see in the original series? Are they going to mm-hmm. reference the whole uh, augment virus or the, you know, that thing or not? I don't know. So, what are your most offensive things in Discovery, and what are your most favorite things in Discovery? The, the most offensive thing has to be the Tribble because I, I just I don't like Tribbles. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's tough, you know. I, I've tried to go into it tempering a lot of the like knee-jerk reactions. One, um, it, it, it to me I feel like it would just be like nit, nitpicky kind of things. And and oh, it's nitpick what we do away. Here. It's okay. I don't know if you listen to the show. Yeah, um, <laughs> the fact that. The fact that none of them have hair, I mean, that's a simple thing, but I mean, we've seen very, we see uh, uh, Chang, so we know that there's Kling, he wasn't fully bald though, he had like a little uh, ponytail thing, but, and I get that even like our culture, like some people would have long hair, short hair, braid it, not braid it, you know, shave it bald, but like across the board that they're all hairless and I, I don't know, that's just like a little thing that's like, eh, but I get over that because that's not going to be like the, 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 you know, the deal breaker um i don't know that's kind of i've kind of not had such a horrible bad reaction to a lot of it i think that the main thing would be that my personal feeling about the racial purity and the um the supremacy i mean because you know not to go too too um serious with it but as a native american i recognize the importance of preserving a culture and a way of life just for posterity like going like generations into the future but also when you feel that you need to do that in a in defiance or opposition against an assimilating colonizer or a larger group that is threatening your way of life so i kind of get that but at the same time i I don't like the fact that i'm going like yay to something that could be considered like a you know supremacy racial supremacy because Mm -hmm. That doesn't just that to me. That doesn't just go jive with my personal view, but also the Star Trek mythos, you know, ethos of edict. And so there's definitely like elements that it rings to, like it reminds back to modern, or re, you know, historical of our real cult, real world culture. Yeah. But it also to see that reflected also in the Vulcans, where there's just a Vulcan ex- extremist group that are willing to basically be suicide bombers, do terrorist type ty- terrorist type activities, mm-hmm. and the whole premise mm-hmm. is. They don't want humans in their society. Now, at this point, what we saw in Discovery, um, 
so Sarek married a human. Now he has right. a, like a half breed to kind of go bring back a term that was thrown at Native Americans a lot. But also now having this fully full human join the Vulcan Science Academy. It, I guess to some Vulcans thinking that that threatens their way of life and now that they mm-hmm. aside from saying we don't you know having a discussion like we don't agree with that or we don't we're worried about that to go that far to basically make another cult and do terrorist activities to, to it's just something weird you know it, it, it's so it's not like yeah. a, an offensive thing or something that I just hate about this discovery stuff but it's just thought provoking and it's like wow I never would have right. thought of that coming from I mean, you could almost kind of see it with the Klingons because, you know, the the conquering and the dominance, which, you know, you could go back to why a motivation for that with the Herc invasion that the Klingons had to deal with. But to see that coming from the Vulcans, like, it's just, wow, you know, it, they're, they're really touching on he- heady, weighty issues that I think a lot of people don't expect or don't think that they're going to get from a sci-fi when they're just looking for you know funny cool aliens and zap guns and you know beam me up and all that all right so what's your favorite thing about the klingons that you've uh, you've enjoyed with discovery well i just thought of another one i I really don't like the batleth i think that's probably (laughs) i think that's probably my most my most grievous gripe because if you think of okay so i get that there's gonna they want to design new weapons and that's cool. And I always like seeing new weapons. And if you look at like Japanese, Chinese, and all the different cultures that do martial arts, they have tons of different weapons. But so they have a new sword. It's like, okay, cool. It's the new, uh, new Klingon sword. But they specifically call it a Batleth. I mean, it's even in uh, Michael Berman's, Burn, Burnham, Burnham's, I forget, um, her, her heads up display. When she first steps foot on the sarcophagus ship, her heads-up display right. focuses on the sword and says Batleth. A Batleth is a very specific weapon. It, it would almost be like in today's world saying Claymore. You could just mm-hmm. you could just say sword, but if you specifically say a Claymore or a, ka- mm. a Katana, you, it, it's yeah. a very specific size, shape, curvature and everything and so for them even in this, uh, into darkness they had this crazy looking multi-pointy sword thing and uh, it's uh, in that movie though i have to give them credit they never as far as i remember they never said the word batleth it's just the fans i was like it's a new batleth and i'm like no a batleth but i honestly i even have to have the same i have to include my beloved deep space nine because when they did the sword of Kalis, they introduced a new a new the, the sword of Kalis, quote unquote and that's a completely different, you know, design and, and curvatures and everything. So, but they don't call it a batleth. They don't call it a batleth. They, it, so it's not the batleth of Kalis. It's the sword of Kalis. And, and that's where go, going back to nitpicking things because it is it's the right. sword of Kalis. But the in the in the lore in the in in canon like in the universe, the lore is that Kalis created the first batleth by you know t- oh. taking a lock of his hair dipping it in the lava and and all that and then he slew the tyrant molar with that sword and so if they're saying the sword of Kalis was the sword that he created it's and then later on like you see the batleth which is what supposedly Kalis. yeah that's where it's like okay 
so that so the cannon it kind of trips up on itself a little bit there it should have been the batleth of Kalos. sometimes or you know I, but i get that the fact that you see wharf carrying you see a bunch of klingons running around with batleths so when they wanted to do right. a, an episode they're like this is the like the basically the equivalent analogy would be like the holy grail like the cup of christ the holy grail like when they wanted to do like this is the holy grail batleth they didn't want to just pull out a mm. ballot from the stack of props in the warehouse, you know, like, let's make a special one. So I get that. So, but again, that new Klingon Batleth in Discovery, it looks beautiful. It looks ornate and it, it ties right into the aesthetic that they're building with the, like the ancient culture, the sarcophagus, you know, referencing back to giving you the idea of like a Egyptian pharaohs and, you know, old ancient um, art, artistry of everything. So, but honestly, my favorite thing about the Klingons in Discovery, just uh, again, as a, just personally, I think it would be the Klingon language because I I spent years and years studying the Klingon language. I I basically had to teach myself. I just bought the first, you know, the the Klingon dictionary, poured through it. And then later on, like, uh, you know, down the road, I found the Klingon Language Institute, which had a very basic rudimentary website like in the 90s but it was still an online resource they had a email list because there wasn't all like the discords and team speaks and all that so it was like an email list but spending the time to learn the language and then you see you know uh, Chris, going back to Christopher Lloyd he spoke the language awesomely like with, but he had the benefit of having Mark Okran coaching him but then you see um the undiscovered country and they're and they're doing some Klingon language in that but then you get to um, next generation and even DS9 and I love Michael Dorn this is n- nothing against him but he murders the Klingon language sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and, and I it's, it's he grew up on oh, earth his that. parents were Russian cut the guy some slack it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's 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 a, an out for him. <laughs> and but it's not just it's not just him. It's other actors, and I get the fact that they're they're actors. You know, if you if you gave me a script and said, "Here's some Russian," I'm probably going to murder that Russian because I didn't study the language. But you know, it's just something that you you kind of cringe sometimes, where it's like they get the pronunciation wrong, or in in some cases, even in the books, like even in the, some of the novels and other reference material. You could tell that the author or the writer just grabbed the Klingon dictionary and just looked up words and then put the word, put the <laughs> words together the way they thought they would go, oh, but yeah. they didn't. So that's something yeah. where it's like, okay, I get it, and I understand. You know, not every everyone's going to have a language coach, but the fact that Discovery chose to actually use the Klingon language in a in a heavy capacity, but also to get it right, because going back to um, the Klingon language, so they got it right. So they got it right. It's it's legit Klingon. Now my only complaint or wow. gripe would be the false the, the prosthetic teeth because that can get in the way of pronunciation. But yeah, they have a they have dialect coaches on the on the um, on the on staff. But they also brought in wow. a Klingon language institute high ranking member for the Klingon translator, and you could see her name in the credits, uh, Robin Stewart. I actually know Robin Stewart through the Klingon language institute. Um, I haven't met her in person yet because of just ge- geography, but I've, I've interacted with her. We're friends on Facebook and Twitter, but it's funny because when I first joined the Klingon Language Institute email list, where it was a discussion list where everybody would email and get the big bulk email from everybody's replies, when you first joined that, it was uh, obviously the beginner people, beginning, you know, 
obviously the beginners are going to make a bunch of mistakes and ask the same questions over and over. So they designated one of the of KLI members to be what is called the, the beginner's grammarian. And they would be the one that would handle all the beginning questions, correct people's mistakes, and then, you know, kind of bring them into the fold. When I joined, like, it was like 98, 97, Robin Stewart was the beginner's grammarian. And so I <laughs> learned a lot of my early wow. Klingon through her. And so now to see her, you know, we've kept in touch all the, throughout the years, but to now to see her being named as the Klingon translator, it's just a very special thing, you know, that I could feel connected to. But just the fact that they're, they're taking the effort, you know, it, it's definitely adding more and more people are interested in learning the language now. And, uh, I just that just tickles me and I just love it because I'm not I don't I don't have the dictionary out all the time but and I don't remember every single word in the dictionary I just understand like so when when people say I'm fluent I have to say like really no I'm not fluent um, there actually is a certification test that is a, a, a multi-stage course that you take with the Klingon Language Institute and when you pass the final test you're officially certified I'm not at that point yet even though it's something I'm working on but even without that, I could watch the, the dialogue. I mean, I, you know, I watch Discovery and I pick up phrases. I pick up words and I'm like, I, I just it's just a fun thing to me for. So that's probably one of my favorite just fun things about the Klingons of, of Discovery. Nice. But I, I really do appreciate even though they're different and that's going to be upsetting to a lot of people. I just really appreciate that they're choosing to take the Klingons and I don't want to seem like this is it wasn't before, but like you're saying and others have said, they're taking it seriously because they're not just making mm -hmm. it like throw some fur over their back, you know, put a leather belt mm -hmm. on them and make them growl. And, oh, look, it's a bad guy. They're really they're really treating it like it's a culture and, and it has a history yeah. and a lineage. And it's just something that I, I'm really happy to see expanding the culture. Well, David, I can't. Th I mean, we can we can obviously go on and on and on about this because it's it's I I love talking because Discovery has really just shined a light on the Klingon culture in a way that that certainly J the JJ verse didn't do, um, and so but but unfortunately for time. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, I it, it, we'll have to have you on again, even if it's for our patrons, just to keep going about this because we can, and I'm so excited about it. I don't want it to end. Well, it, the, um, next, the next step, and maybe after the season, because Laurel defected, or like, what's going on with this now? Like the sh yeah, the, the coffin ship blew up. Like I don't, we, we got to find out what's going on with these Klingons. That's true. So it's not the last time <laughs> we're going to have you on by any stretch of the means. We will have you on again. But David, I'm so very grateful that you've you've spent your your Tuesday night with us here to talk about the Klingons and 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 how they're represented in, in Discovery. Tell us how people can follow you, how they can reach out to you and and get involved if they want to explore the Klingon culture even further. Well, uh, definitely. Uh, for, for just to get the first out of the way, uh, I do a show called The Warriors Den, which is a lot of you know popular music and nerd culture discussion but definitely focused a lot on the Klingon culture language and just Klingons in the news and that's the Warriors Den every Thursday on Trek Radio uh, trekradio.net um, I'm on the social medias Facebook, Twitter, Instagram I use the Klingon spelling of my name David which is D-E-Y-V-I-D uh, on Twitter it's David underscore K-D-F which I made all the way to back for Klingon Defense Force and I've it just stuck with it 
Facebook is also just look for the search for the D E Y V I D and you'll see my same Klingon face on all of the, the profile pictures. And so you can follow me on social media. Um, I'm also uh, more and more active with the Klingon assault group, which is an international costuming club. Now in a way you could kind of think of the 501st, but w- with less strict costume requirements because it's a, a lot about, it's a lot about <laughs> having fun. You know, a lot of people, may not have the time and the resources but you know Klingons are a different thing so uh, look for your local chapter if there isn't one you could start up a ship but just go to the kag.org or kag.org the Klingon assault group um, and if you want to learn the Klingon language there's it's definitely a thriving community there's new advancements to the language every year um, so you, but you, you got to first off don't use the Bing translator I have to say <laughs> so, sorry. wait people use Bing? It, you, it, there is a Bing, yeah, and or Google or different ones, oh. but Bing a, a while back said, we're a Klingon translator, and it started off with potential and kind of good, but it's just, it just got, yeah, it, it spits out bad Klingon. I mean, you could look it up an individual word, but if you're going to try to translate sentences, it just, just avoid it. So you got to get the Klingon Dictionary by Mark Okrand, and then that's the, the foundation. There's a couple other books and audio cassettes you could find, but get the Klingon dictionary and then if you're on Facebook there's a group called Learn Klingon and it's a lot of the high-ranking members of the Klingon Language Institute I'm in there Robin Stewart is in there like a lot of the the uh, official and um, expert level speakers are in that so just it's a way to have an online community to talk to and um, so yeah it's just I and there's all, all kinds of books that always come out some of them are better than others but it's just each one we, we glean through to like what is what's what can we add to our lexicon and our database basically of like Klingon culture and so some of them are more official than others but I, I highly recommend Klingon it's a great fandom a great community you're gonna see them at cost you know costume events uh, conventions there's the language in it. The, the other cool thing about the language community is there are people like me who are diehard Star Trek fans who glue rubber to their forehead and say, I'm a Klingon. But there's also academic linguistic academics who have no don't care about Star Trek at all. But it's a functional language. It's an interesting, fun language to use. So there's there's all the sides of it. The Star Trek fans, the linguistic uh, academic types. And it's just a robust community. So I'm again, just more more glory to the Klingon Empire, and I'm all for that. (laughs) Nice. Well, we will certainly include all those links in our show notes. David, thank you so very much for joining us on Tuesday night, man. It's it's fantastic to have you on the show, as always, and I'm so grateful that uh, that you spent some time talking with us about the, the Klingon culture and how it's represented in Star Trek Discovery and this very special on screen. Klingon mach tachjaj remain Klingon. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 345's first community question was, what are your thoughts about Quentin Tarantino joining the creative team of the Star Trek franchise? From Facebook, ENT Clark says, the two episodes he name-dropped previously were City on the Edge of Forever and Yesterday's Enterprise. I think the movie he's pitching has elements of both of these episodes. Imagine someone going into the Guardian of Forever back to the 70s and changing history. Then we get a movie that intercuts between the 1970s and an altered 22nd century. That might make a pretty cool movie and something that would be in Tarantino's wheelhouse. 
I actually went and found that article, and yeah. holy crap, he's basically talking about fixing the Kelvin timeline. What? Wow. It's it, like the gist of what he's talking about. He's talking about how, well, the crew doesn't know, yesterday's Enterprise in particular, they're like, they saved the ship. They thought that was the right thing to do. But they have no idea that they just locked themselves in a hundred-year war with the Klingons. It's like, oh, my God. But we, the audience, know that they've messed something up, but they have no idea. They're just living their lives. I'm like... Uh, I'm going to need to read this article, Holy I think. God, I'll, I'll, I'll find the link for you. I'll, I'll put the link okay. out there where you guys... And can we'll include notes. it in the show notes. Yeah, because it sounds a whole lot like he's thinking about fixing the Kelvin timeline, which is amazeballs. Via Facebook, David S. writes in, to paraphrase Dr. Emmett Brown, quote, I figure, what the hell? End quote. From Facebook, Greg Halverstadt says, I'll take a Star Trek film over nothing, but I worry about the direction that the script will be taking under Tarantino. Trek hasn't just included optimistic characters, but its stories have also originated in an optimism towards the possibilities of human ethics and achievement. Many, if not all, of Tarantino's scripts have been highly cynical in their treatment of characters and storylines for the sake of lurid entertainment. Even his more stylistically subdued films, like Jackie Brown, carry this cynical element. This isn't to say that his grindhouse exploitation touch to his films is necessarily bad. However, in the context of Star Trek, I worry that any optimistic elements will be merely postmodern winks and nods rather than the basis for the story. Now, Elijah, you just said you disagree. Would you like to I elaborate? really do disagree. I think that um, Tarantino does not create characters out of the sake of lord entertainment. I mean, I think that there are moments of lord entertainment, but he put, but for instance, I just watched The Hateful Eight. When somebody's head disappears, I, yeah, that is that that is gratuitous, but it doesn't detract from what's happening with the characters in in the moment right there, there, there was story involved there there was there was there was a drive and a motivation and then and then these moments of of gratuitedness happen if that's a word that uh, is not gratuity a word gratuitous gratuitosity gratuitous yes. gratuitosity <laughs> happen but but um they don't but it, it but i think that it's done as almost a um a relief, almost a comic relief from the intensity of what's happening in the scene prior, right? It's almost like, wow, that was so over the top, and thank goodness for it because that scene was intense. Yeah, I, I think I think with a Star Trek movie, you're gonna, you come packaged with a bunch of characters that have optimism and all that kind of stuff. You come with the team, right? I mean, it's a Star Trek movie with the Star Trek mm -hmm. team. It's the best Star Trek movies are about the villains, and Tarantino does amazing villains i'll take i'll take he does amazing characters it, it, yeah. I, you see i don't think tarantino does villains no, no no the characters are already there in star trek tarantino's stuck with kirk and spock and the team he's stuck with those guys he's gonna write the villains and the uh, his villains no, are amazing you see, i think mm, you see i think that he's going to i don't think that he he writes amazing villains he writes amazing characters hmm. uh, like is beatrix kiddo a villain no, the other guy. She's killing no a bunch of people. The dude's the the dude's the villain. David Carradine's the villain. Is it why? Because he's the bad guy. He gets five finger punched. Well, he does. Yes, I mean he. Yeah, he's clearly the antagonist. Yes, yeah. I mean he. Like, there you yeah, go. Sure, but like in, in Inglorious right. Bastards. Okay, move on. Like who's who's like who's the villain in Inglorious Bastards? Hans Landa. Who's the villain? Who's the villain in Hateful Eight? I haven't seen Hateful Eight, so I couldn't tell you. Mm, watch Hateful Eight. Okay, it's probably it's it's almost as weak as as Jackie Brown, but I still like it better than Jackie Brown. It's right now it's like it's Jackie Brown, Hateful Eight, and then all his other movies. 
Hateful Eight and, and Jackie Brown on my on my bottom two. Um, but watch Hateful Eight. It's on Netflix. Just watch it. Just watch it, and then let's talk about it. Okay. Star Trek with Hans Landa. Win. If we get a bad guy yes. on, the, on the caliber yeah. of Hans Landa. Hmm. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's good. From Twitter, Witness of Teach Text says, There's a radio interview out there that shows Tarantino is a total Trek nerd and has picked things that really seem to be in his wheelhouse. So cautiously optimistic. But in general, I think Trek should be optimistic. So don't think he could be the next JJ unchecked. All right, look, guys, we've been talking about Tarantino so much and praising him so much in this episode. If somebody listening to the show happens to be friends with Tarantino... Or Mr. Tarantino, if you are listening to the show, yeah. please send us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I wrote a paper about you in college. I would love to talk to you. Jake, tag him when the show comes out. Jake, tag him when the show comes out. Episode 345's second community question was, how has Star Trek influenced your life? And from Patreon, a great response from Katie Fulfer. She says, I'm a philosophy professor now. Thanks, Star Trek. Watching TNG as a kid sparked my interest in existential and ethical questions, which is, that's just an amazing story. I think we need to have a special guest. I think we might. I think we should. Fine. We had, we had better we, had. Maybe we should. <laughs> we, we had better, better had. had. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was we got some feedback. Eddie, no, Eddie, Eddie Izzard, nobody, Eddie Izzard's uh, dressed to kill when he has that. No. All right. Never mind. From Twitter, Meme Ranglout writes in. Star Trek changed how I look at the world. It also made me realize we are all still on a journey. We once again took to Twitter for our weekly survey Sunday. This week we want to know, how do you feel about a potential Quentin Tarantino Star Trek? Sorry for the poor hashtag movie title puns. And out of 48 votes, we've got 44% could be okay, hashtag reserved dogs. 21% excited, hashtag pumped fiction. 15% not thrilled, Hashtag Jackie Blah. And 20% hate it. Hashtag Inglorious B Word. That's a statistically significant uh, uh, survey. And yes, I think that, uh, what, 65% are either on board or like driving the train. So, yeah, I think that's about right. And our title at Thursday winner is actually part of the picture. Heather Barker responded, quote, family with a heart and the Vulcan hand gesture for Live Long and Prosper. And Kenna crowned her victory shortly after the reply. But we all agree. Heather, much love to you and our friends over at Shore Leave, a tricorder transmission podcast. Well, that wraps up episode 346 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community questions this week. Would you go to see an R-rated Star Trek film? Why or why not? And do the writers' jobs for them on the new rumored Quentin Tarantino film, how would you work Captain Picard into that next film? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at priorityonepodcast.com on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or tweet us via at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. 
And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel where we review the latest Star Trek Online news and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in the Armada. Each week we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and uh, lithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to TrekRadio.net's broadcaster, marketing, and communications director, David, for joining us this week for a special Klingon-focused on-screen. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, and with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Speaking of Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spearheading our social media endeavors like those Title It Thursdays and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boat Slew. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. This is Elijah, intro, sync one. This is Kenna, intro, sync two. This is Tony with the big, long pause, sync three. This is Winters. Okay, intro, ooh, <laughs> who's forgot. still I here. I have the mindset that you weren't here. He's still here, <laughs> sync still four, here. for the time being. <laughs> All right. This is Elijah, trek it out, sync one. This is Kenna, trek it out, sync two. This is Tony, trek it out, sync three. This is Winters, trek it out, sync four, before Elijah forgets me again. I took a breath, too. <laughs> Check it out in three, two. We're done. That is not a sufficient sweeper, Tony. Oh, okay. <laughs> now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online and gaming news.
Okay, can you give it to me one more time? Just maybe a little slower and with feeling. Feeling? <laughs> now, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online and the Gaming News. <laughs> It's like it's like cookie cupcakes. I have to do, I have to ask three uh, times so that the third time I get it just how so, we so should. So a little, little little a little not the enough first the time. first time, a little yeah, too much the second too time. Too much and the We're third aim time. We're gonna the happy medium. It's just right. Just right. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek. Why'd you ruin it? <laughs> Why'd you ruin it, Kenna? <laughs> I was trying to. I was trying to make chills. I was trying to have a drink, Elijah. I'm really sorry. All I wanted was some water. It was just. I just. All I needed was a drink. I was trying to elicit chills. The chills. You totally ruined it.